0: Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from New York City. Welcome to the show, Jyoti Yadav.
1: Uh, Thank you, Victor. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to share all the insights and whatever I can tell you about the commercial mortgage-backed securities market.
0: Well, great to have you here. This is not an area that we have talked about much on the show in the past. It's an important leg of the lending market that is not well understood. It's certainly not part of the retail market and would love to get a little bit of your perspective on what's happening in the mortgage-backed securities market. It's one of three very important segments of the market. Maybe give us a little bit of a background of the market to begin with.
1: Yeah, sure. So, CMBS stands for Commercial Mortgage-Backed Securities, and it is one of the financing vehicle in the commercial real estate industry. CMBS actually competes with insurance companies and banks in providing lending to commercial real estate industry, and it approximately accounts for 15 to 20% of the lending universe, depending on who you ask. Now, how is it different from the other two major players who provide lending in the universe? Is CMBS is a non-recourse, long-term, fixed-rate investment The borrowers have sort of prepayment restrictions on them, uh, and they cannot prepay the loan until like three months before uh, the maturity date. And for CMBS market, that's approximately, that's like uh, it's a five, seven, mostly 10 years lending. So it's a long term lending with no prepayment. And also for investors, what it provides is, is a very diversified asset pool. It's not just one investment property in uh, or office space in New York or one hotel in Florida or Hawaii. It's a combination of properties across America. So what it does is uh, even if we see distress in one geographical area or one property type, ideally you would not see a lot of default, a lot of distress in the overall bond. That's the idea of diversification. Now, of course, for banks, it's really interesting because they can make these loans and securitize them. They offload the interest rate risk, they are able to pocket the origination cost, and they can redeploy the capital they get back from the investors after securitization. For investors, of course, it provides them with a long-term fixed rate investment. Uh, and how is it different from other forms of lending? So banks typically provide more shorter-term recourse loans, and uh, their loans are floating-rate loans, uh, typically, and also they focus more on construction uh, loans, and it's a relationship-based lending there. Whereas insurance companies focus on trophy assets, and you know they have an idea, they like the credit, they like the property that they're looking at, and then they would make the investment. CMBS would kind of cater to everything else that banks and uh, insurance companies are not looking at. And, you know, banks would provide lending to various lenders, securitize it together, sell it to investors, and those investors would get the cash flow over a period of time.
0: So are mortgage-backed securities strictly loans that have been sold from other lending institutions into the securitized market, or are they, in fact, originated as mortgage-backed securities?
1: So the idea is to originate these loans to, so that they can be securitized, if that makes sense. Uh, so like a certain part of a bank or financial institution would only make these loans if they know that they can uh, pool them into uh, bonds and can sell that to investors. And I mean, that is the reason why also there is a little bit of hesitation in the CMBs market right now, just because of the volatility. A lot of uh, issuers don't really know how much uh, you know investors are willing to pay for that and how they price it. And that's why there's a little bit of holdback of issuance of new deals.
0: We've also seen in recent months that the Federal Reserve has committed to purchase large portfolios of mortgage-backed securities that otherwise it would not be a natural buyer for those assets.
1: Yeah, that is true. And it's surprising, you know, compared to the last time when TALF came around there hasn't been that much interest in the program. I mean, last time around, there were 89 institutions which drew a total of 71 billion of Cal funding. This time around, in the first two rounds, we have seen much, much limited amount of funding. Like in on the June 17 round, there was only million, oh, sorry, $145 million of funds that were drawn for the CMBS market. And that's essentially because the spreads really went wide in uh, late March, April, per se. There was really no lending, but they have actually come back just because of the fact that people, uh, people are able to, like the market participants, are able to get the spreads tightened in terms of the kind of uh, deals that they're issuing right now.
0: So when you're talking about the spreads, you're talking about the difference between the actual face value of those notes and the purchase price that the investor is willing to pay for those bonds.
1: Right. That's, that's uh, completely accurate. So, I mean, if a originator or a bank has made a loan um, at, let's say, 3% interest rate, and because of the uncertainty in the market, investors are only willing to buy the bond at a 6% yield. That means the spreads have gone much uh, wider, and also the originator is probably incurring losses on that uh, transaction.
0: Absolutely. When we talk about the mortgage-backed securities market, we're really talking about a segment of the bond market. It follows a different set of rules than, let's say, loans that are underwritten by Fannie or Freddie. Mm-hmm. How that played out in the current environment where we've got a moratorium on foreclosures, uh, default rates what's happening in the market and how is the mar- the mortgage backed security market different
1: essentially the mortgage backed securities market would be divided into two parts agency loans which is essentially fannie freddie ginnie and the privately labeled cmbs universe so agency uh, cmbs have actually not seen a lot of distress of course uh, that is because of the backstop provided by government and you know various policies and programs that have come out but on the other side private-level CMBS and TRAP. that uh, right now we are tracking approximately, I would say, over half a trillion dollar worth of CMBS loans. That means half a trillion dollar worth of outstanding balance on these loans. And there has been a lot of distress. Uh, just to give you a, a little bit of background, in the last financial crisis, which started in 07, 08, 09, the delinquency rate, what which is that Loans which are more than 30 days behind payment. So the delinquency rate uh, in July of 2012 was 10.34%. That's the highest we have ever seen. And we have been tracking this since the market began in the 1980s. It took four years approximately for the delinquency rate to reach that peak. Now, what has happened is February, the delinquency rate overall was 2%. And in June, we recorded a delinquency rate of 10.32%. That's fairly, very close to the highest delinquency rate we've ever seen. So at 10%, that's approximately more than $50 billion worth of loans which are behind payment. So there is a lot of distress in the sector. There are a lot of borrowers who are behind on their payment, and they're working with their lenders, with their services, with special services to figure out a way of how to, you know, how to address the current uh, situation.
0: These loans, are there particular asset classes that tend to find their way into mortgage-backed securities, or is it the full spectrum, everything from multifamily to office to retail?
1: It is actually the full spectrum. So the six major categories, of course, are retail, uh, lodging, office, multifamily, mixed use, and other category, which includes uh, storage and student housing, etc.
0: And industrial and
1: oh sorry i missed industrial most definitely and that is one of the uh, positive news in the market but i can get that into that later so yeah i mean office and retail make a big chunk uh, retail i think is approximately at 25% of our overall universe and office is at 27% however the distress that we are seeing is also very different depending on the property type lodging industry has been Battered, like decimated in terms of, we see approximately twenty-five percent delinquency rate. I think lodging uh, accounts for eighty-five-ish uh, billion dollars worth of loans in our universe, and twenty-five percent of those—that's more than twenty billion—have actually are behind payments, and uh, uh, it's kind of a similar situation with retail, which is at eighteen percent, which is really high. But on the other hand, if you see, there is a multifamily, there is office, which have not seen a lot of distress right now. I mean, office is a sector we are carefully watching because, you know, just because of the change in preference, how we are working, work from home, offices, you know, like people are making rent payments. But are there people in the office working in, on the ground? You know, most likely not. So that is a sector which might see some changes in the future. Industrial, as I mentioned, that's the only sector which actually saw a reduction in delinquency rate in June, which is, which is very surprising, but it kind of makes sense because of how, you know, there's more focus on e-commerce that has like totally spiked during this crisis and uh, there's more warehousing distribution, et cetera.
0: Well, certainly, and you know, you're based in New York City, and one of the largest land landlords in New York City in commercial office is a company called WeWork that has come out with an innovative, albeit broken, business model. And today, they've got over 2 million square feet of vacant space in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very difficult for them to survive that.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's been, like, we have covered WeWork since it became a thing, really. And we have covered how much of the CMBS exposure does WeWork have. And it has increased. It really increased last year around, if I'm not wrong, it was at $5 billion worth of exposure uh, just in the CMBS market. And depending on how the company does, that is, that is a big number, you know, and similarly, I mean, if you look at uh, some other property, uh, like you know, mall reads like CBL, it has a uh, hundred malls across America, not Class A, like Simon Property, uh, but like would say Class B or Class C, and they have already said that they probably, I mean, news reports have reported that they will probably file for bankruptcy. So you can see the distress that we see in our data, or vice versa.
0: Absolutely. So many lenders today are signing forbearance agreements with their borrowers, giving them an interest holiday, giving them a reduction in principal payments, maybe just paying the interest only, various schemes. How is that playing out in the mortgage-backed securities market? Because now the originator of the loan and maybe even the servicing company of the loan versus the holder of the note are not the same entity.
1: That's true. And, And I mean, that's a question we get asked. Almost every day from our clients, especially in April, this was this is a big deal. So there are a lot of forbearance agre- agreements that you would see in the CMBS universe. But what the forbearance agreement here, ideally, uh, typically means is that servicers are allowing uh, borrowers to use their reserve account to make debt service payments, which which is not allowed in CMBS universe. Really, I mean that's kind of off the limits <laughs> and that that is something that's being allowed now borrowers mostly hotel and retails which are the one which have applied for forbearance are uh, getting three month forbearance so for those three months they can use their uh, reserve fund account but after that they would have to replenish their account so they have to make that service payment after the Three-month forbearance period is over, but they also have to uh, replenish the reserve account, which essentially means they have to make more payments per month. Now, it depends on the, you know who's a borrower, who's a servicer, what kind of relationship you have. Uh, So depending on that, the replenishment time period could be like nine months, could be more. I mean, some borrowers have got more than three months of forbearance agreement, agreement, but it's it's really dependent on each and every loan. And, you know, so obviously to really look at what were the net operating uh, income, what were the revenues, what's the occupancy rate, and we really dive in deep to understand if the borrower can continue to operate maybe like if three months is good enough for them to get back to a better situation like get back to current and make payments on time
0: well sir let's dive into the hospitality segment just as an example so today the universe for hospitality is running at about between 15 and 20 percent occupancy that's across the united states Some sub-markets, of course, like Myrtle Beach, are seeing higher occupancy, especially on the weekends. But on average, the occupancy is well below profitability for most of these businesses. Let's walk through a timeline. You know, they would have a certain amount of cash on hand. They can survive a couple of months without requiring forbearance. Then they go in maybe another three months with forbearance. You're Mm -hmm. now five, six months in, starting to run out of cash. What happens then?
1: Yeah, so... I mean, the idea is that the special servicer and the uh, lender are really going to have a continuing conversation with the borrower to actually analyze, like, is this borrower worth uh, providing forbearance agreement for, right? Or forbearance period for, per se, that Do they think based on the current occupancy trend for that particular property that it will come back? And depending on what the assumptions are, you know, like how, what kind of recovery do they expect? And recovery is, of course, going to be different based on different geographical area. So it's it's very uh, loan specific. And there are some loans that are curing like in our database, uh, based on the current July number, we have more than 90% coverage. We have seen that some um, loans have switched their status from delinquency to current, you know, and that is possible for some of the hotel loans, uh, but it's not necessarily going to be the case for each and every one of them. So it, it, it's, it's totally specific to the... Uh, property, but there can be a situation that the lender or the borrower is just like, I can't make the payments. I don't see a chance of us seeing a recovery for another like six months. And I don't think I would like to continue doing this. And they can just throw back in their keys to the lenders. Whereas there could be a possibility that the borrower uh, really wants to keep the property and then they can say, I will fund it out of my own pocket. I will continue as long as I need to or as I can to make this property current and, you know, work with the services there.
0: Fascinating. If there's a borrower who's looking to start a new commercial project today and they want specifically to do something in the mortgage-backed security market, is there even an avenue for them to do so?
1: Yes, most definitely. Definitely. Uh, And it totally depends on what kind of property are they looking at? Because, and let me explain a little bit about how the lending is going on right now, and that can probably shed more light on uh, what a borrower can do in this situation. So lending has, of course, in in February, it was going all good. There was like, we were on the, uh, on the path to get record issuance, but uh march came and everyone just you know closed up their powers and they were like we are really going to think uh if you want to provide more lending to any property type so there were few uh, loans that were made pre covid which banks ended up selling, uh, like issuing bonds for at a, at a loss there. But now, I think the most recent deal is a deal by Morgan Stanley. I think it's $651 million, I'm quoting, commercial mortgage alert. And out of the 43 loans that the deal is uh, securitizing, 16 were made in July and five of those were made in June. Now, these are not hotel loans. Hotel loans are not really getting lending. These are office loans, multifamily loans, industrial loans. We see a little bit of retail here and there, but that's totally dependent on the property. Like If it's a stabilized performing property with great uh, cash returns for some period of time, then you would see some sort of lending there. But mostly we are seeing it in the office multifamily and industrial space per se.
0: Fantastic. Well, Jyoti, this has been a terrific education. Uh, if folks want to learn more, if they want to get in touch, what's the best way?
1: Yeah. And firstly, Victor, thank you so much for having me. I love having this conversation with you. So uh, you guys can reach me at info at It's a list that I'm on along with uh, all of my other wonderful colleagues, and we can answer your questions only, uh, provide you any more information beyond.
0: So that's info INFO at Trep T R E P P dot com.
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: Fantastic. Well, for the listeners at home, definitely reach out to Jody at at trep.com, info at trep.com, TREPP dot com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.